surely Abraham knew as he held the knife up over his head, hand shaking, forehead dripping with sweat. Surely he knew that somehow this killing would not happen. Isaac, his beloved son, the embodiment of God's promise to him that his descendants would number as the stars in heaven. Isaac, who was born to him and to Sarah like a last chance in their old age, bringing laughter into their lives. Isaac surely would not die. And yet, in that moment before the downswing of the blade, did Abraham's faith in God falter? Did a flicker of doubt pass across his face, a fear that was only allayed by the voice of God's angel staying his hand? We'll never know. But we assume he never hesitated because there's nothing in the text to say that he wavered. In fact, Abraham seemed to have no qualms at all about sacrificing his son when God told him to. Okie doke, he said, as if God were asking him to go to the corner store for a bottle of iced tea. I get frustrated with Abraham in this story because he doesn't seem human. So I, I try to make him more humane in my mind by imagining a, a flicker of fear on his face or a shaky hand holding that knife. Or I try to picture his exchange with God as more argumentative, a conversation that was maybe left out of Genesis, kind of like the first verse of the Bob Dylan song, Highway 61 Revisited, which goes like this. Oh, God said to Abraham, kill me a son. Abe say, man, you must be putting me on. God say, no. Abe say, what? God say, you can do what you want, Abe, but the next time you see me coming, you better run. I mean, if Abraham had protested just a little bit, he might seem more compassionate. But the story of Abraham's sacrifice of Isaac is incomprehensible, not just because of his actions, but because of God's. How could God put Abraham through such a brutal, horrific test? And why? Did God really require more evidence of Abraham's trust and faith? After all, Abraham had left his comfortable life in the land of Ur of Chaldees to follow God's call through unknown territories and into a new land. And by this point, God had already made a covenant with Abraham, promising him land, descendants, and a special blessing. Why is more proof required? Maybe God wanted to be certain that Abraham's fealty was to God and not to the promise of descendants. And so he tested Abraham by asking him to kill the one thing that would ensure those future generations. Was that it? We'll never know. What we do know is that child sacrifice to the gods did in fact exist among the peoples of the ancient Near East back in Abraham's day and for centuries after. 
Sacrifices of firstborn males were made to Moloch, Baal, and other gods of the time. It's a terrible thing to consider. And yet, if we can take off our 21st century goggles and see this story through the eyes of Abraham's contemporaries or through the lens of those who wrote the book of Genesis a thousand years later, things might make a little more sense. Abraham's blind compliance with God's orders would still be alarming, but the sacrifice would not be unheard of. Maybe we could then see Abraham's shocking behavior as an extreme example of trust in God. And what about God? For me, the severity of this test is still hard to accept. Stories like these make my faith in God falter. But perhaps for those who heard this story 3,000 years ago, the big surprise was that God actually stopped Abraham from sacrificing his child. Because why would a deity stop the knife from delivering a sacrifice that was common in those days? It may be that the lesson for those early listeners of this story was that the God of Abraham was a merciful God who would not take away a beloved child. Now, that message is kind of lost in translation for us. But for now, I ask you to consider that, that different perspective from which the story was written. And so for the audience of 3,000 years ago, this story presented a God of sternness, sternness, but it also offered the promise of a God of mercy and compassion, as would be seen in some of God's subsequent dealings with the children of Israel and then expanding to embrace the whole world explicitly in the gospel of Jesus, of which promise we are all inheritors. Elijah McLean was anemic, thin and frail, so he often wore ski masks, even in warm weather, because he was cold. Walking home one night from the local corner store where he went to buy some iced tea, Elijah was listening to music on his headphones and flailing his arms around, dancing as he walked. As his friends in Aurora, Colorado would say, Elijah's different. But this behavior was enough to elicit a call to 911 by a man passing in a car, saying he saw a guy acting weird. Officers arrived on the scene and called out to him, but he didn't stop right away. When he did, he pulled his earphones out to address the officers, but soon became agitated and started struggling when they tried to pat him down. One carotid artery chokehold later, along with an overly strong injection of the animal tranquilizer ketamine and two heart attacks in the ambulance that took him away, Elijah McLean lost consciousness and never woke up again. He was taken off life support six days later and died, 23 years old, a young black man who had gone out for iced tea and was dancing to music on his way home. Another sacrifice to the gods of law and order, justice and fear. I have sometimes wondered 
what Isaac was like. Of the three Jewish patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he's the one without a voice. Not so much the one who does things as the one who has things done to him. Abraham almost sacrifices him when he's a boy. Eleazar, Abraham's servant, goes and finds him a wife, Rebekah. And she, along with Jacob, their son, tricks Isaac on his deathbed into giving his blessing to the wrong son. I think of him as passive, the necessary bridge between his more dynamic father and son. But maybe if he'd been left alone, he would have been a bit like Elijah McLean. Elijah was a massage therapist. One of his clients said, he was the sweetest, purest person I have ever met. He was definitely a light in a whole lot of darkness. Elijah loved animals and music. He taught himself to play violin, and on his lunch breaks from work, he would sometimes visit a nearby animal shelter and play his violin for the animals in their cages, believing it soothed them. Maybe Isaac, like Elijah, was a gentle young man who had the misfortune of growing up in a war-infested, hyper-masculine, Old Testament world where sweetness was manipulated, then crushed underfoot. But I refuse to believe in a God who would demand the sacrifice of children to meet his need for absolute obedience. One who would deem the innocent disposable. And so I, I do not and cannot believe this story of the sacrifice of Isaac because the God of love I cling to would never make such a demand. I believe this is a man-made tale told to show how the God of the Israelites was more merciful than the neighboring gods because he stayed the blade. You don't hear much from Isaac's perspective on that altar as he looks back at his father holding the knife blade high. And so this morning, I will imagine into his story the last words Elijah McLean said to those officers standing above him. I can't breathe. I have my ID right here. My name is Elijah McLean. That, that's my house. I was just going home. I'm an introvert. Please respect my boundaries. I'm just different. That's all. I'm so sorry. I have no gun. I don't do that stuff. I don't do any fighting. Why are you attacking me? I don't even kill flies. I don't eat meat. But I don't judge people. I don't judge people who do eat meat. Forgive me. All I was trying to do was become better. I will do it. I will do anything. Sacrifice my identity 
I'll do it. You all are phenomenal. You are beautiful. And I love you. Try to forgive me. I'm a mood Gemini. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Ow, that really hurt. You are all very strong. Teamwork makes the dream work. Oh, I'm sorry. I wasn't trying to do that. I just can't breathe correctly. As a nation, we have swung down the knife blade over and over again since 1492, sacrificing victims to the god of what? The god of profit? The god of manifest destiny? The god of violence or hatred or racism or fear or ignorance? Yes, to all of them but not to the God of love, who would never ask such a thing of us. We swing the blade down daily in America, despite the cries of angels begging us to stop. What we hear instead is not their voice, but the blood throbbing in our ears, a lust for sacrifice to the God of what we think is justice a God of our own creation who demands that everyone look and behave and think and believe in ways that satisfy our sense of law and order of acceptability. But now, in these days, we as a nation are also walking in on Abraham with his knife held up, caught in the act, and we are finally crying out, what are you doing? And if you wonder why I keep bringing up race in all my sermons and articles lately, it's because I care very much about your soul. And I will do my best on my watch here to ensure that we are not the hand that holds the blade through our indifference or our discomfort, if not our racism, but that we will be the hand that stays it from its downward arc.